So this particular week was a little odd in some ways. Uh, just some things I was looking at and going through. And I did, did, I'm gonna try to make a connection here because it seemed, so, it seemed very obvious to me um, when I was looking, looking through a, um, what, what I really wanted to come in here and talk about this morning. Um, did anybody get a chance to see the testimony before uh, the committee of the, the, the college presidents and when they were kind of being grilled on anti-Semitism and they were being grilled on if someone calls out for the elimination of a certain group of people, does that violate your code of conduct on campus? It was, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing to watch three people, I think it were three, that were, these were, these were, president, these were presidents of, of universities here in the United States that seem to have a lot of protests going on where, <clears throat> where there's a lot of, a lot of um, uh, hatred toward the Jewish nation, toward Israel. At least they're, the, they're a sampling of what's happening. And so there was a congressional committee where they were looking to see, essentially interviewing these, the presidents of the universities to say, what's your code of conduct? What do you allow to happen? What is acceptable on your campus? And so they were, they were pretty poignant in their, in their questions to them about if someone's calling for genocide or if someone is, is, is essentially saying that we should wipe out an entire nation of people, does that, is that acceptable in your code of conduct? Is that something that you would allow? And their responses were just borderline crazy. I mean, that's, that's, that's my point of view, that you could tell they had been coached by attorneys. You could tell that they had been, been told, watch what you say, be very careful how you phrase things. And no one would come right out and say, yeah, that's hate speech. That's not allowed. We're just not going to put up with that. Mm -hmm. No one would say that. They would all say things like, well, it could be if it went from just speech into action, that's a problem. So if you actually commit genocide, it's a problem. But you talk about it, it's okay. You know, I, there's, there, it was a goofiest thing. And we even had, had one lady in particular, I guess, who was saying things like, well, it depends on the context. It just depends on the context. We'd have to examine the context. You have to give me a specific incident. I'm not sure I could just say that this is always wrong. <clears throat> and it, it floored me. And, and I'll try to make a tie in here to what we're going to, to where we're going to go this morning. We're going to go to a very familiar uh, passage of scripture in the book of John in chapter three. <coughs> <coughs> So we're going to go to John chapter 3. This is the, the story of Nicodemus, and we're all very much aware, I know, of, of Nicodemus. But there are some things in this account that, that I think <coughs> we can use as a parallel to the way that people look at things today and the way that they are blinded to what should be simple truths and simple approaches to what's right and what's wrong. 
there's, I, I, I truly believe that, that God has put within us, even if we don't know him, certain amount of ability to understand certain things are just wrong. And, and, and there's no other place that that can come from. It has to be coming from God. And, and, and it floors me when we see <clears throat> this world lean so heavily toward, well, we better be careful and not violate or offend anybody's freedoms. We better be very, very careful that we might get sued um, we don't want anybody mad at us. And, and that approach is, is amazing to me that, that we'll put all of that before something that really should be. And yeah, I've, I have a biblical worldview. And so, so yes, I'm, I'm coming from that perspective. But I want to read this account here in John chapter 3 and, and talk about a couple of things and see if this all, see if this makes any sense to you. So let's just start by doing that. So in, in uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which of, is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Verse nine, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And what caught me the most about this in relationship to what we were just talking about? Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and the, the, the words are pretty poignant here. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And the connection that came into my mind was, are, are you not the one who is responsible for teaching people what is right? Are you not the one who is responsible 
and supposed to know and understand these things, and yet you're completely lost. And I look at these college presidents who are responsible for just generally teaching the next generation of people that will come out into this world, and they're incapable of seeing the truths that should be right in front of them. They're incapable of being able to make a simple distinction between something that should be morally right or wrong. We're not really even talking about from, from a biblical perspective as much as just morality. And those people who are unable to see those things that are blinded by what the world has said is more important. Are they scary? Or are they complicit? It's a great question. Yeah, are they? I, I don't know that I know the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you, there's, there's a part of me that wants to believe that they know what's right, but they're scared to death to say it. There's a part of me that wants to believe that they understand within their hearts truly what the right thing to say would be, but they know that if they do, they might lose their job, they might return to the campus, and people will wind up protesting them, and you know, who knows what'll happen. They might get targeted, anything can happen, and it'll scare you to do things that perhaps you would not otherwise do. One of them has already lost her job. One of them has already lost her job. Well, they choose, I think they choose to ignore it, or try, you know, try to ignore it, try not to acknowledge it, bury their head in the sand, whatever. <clears throat> because if they acknowledge that it's a problem, then they have to do something about it. Well, good point. It all depends on the topic, too. If it was certain groups, yeah, it would have been hate speech, it would have been whatever. But oh, you're right about that. I mean, yeah. Well, and that, and that ebbs and flows, ebbs and flows with society, doesn't it? You know? That it does. It ebbs and flows with society and, and with what is currently there. But, but take away all the ebbing and flowing and boil it down. There's always a right and a wrong. Jamie. I think this, there's a very simple saying. I don't know, maybe it's a song. But you, if you don't stand for something, you stand. You fall for anything. You fall for anything. Yes. And so we've seen, and it's, it's ironic, over the past decade or so, it was initially a pandering to safe safe zones for people. Everybody needed to feel safe in their safe zones. And then out of that, and trying to, instead of just saying, well, oh, this, is, this is what we stand for, and this is what we do, everybody has a safety zone. And now from that is fomenting very unsafe speech and rhetoric that's targeting various groups that probably are attending their universities themselves. So it's very unsafe zone. <laughs> you know, it's it's because instead of it's instead of everybody's trying to pander to everyone so that everybody thinks they can feel accepted, but we're not a world of of one mind. And so you're you gotta stand for something or it's gonna anyway. No, no, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I mean, they obviously haven't, so it's been a problem. I don't know what's going on. But. Yeah, well, it's, it's the, there seems to be, and, and I'm not, I don't want to turn this into a, to an Israel-Palestine discussion either, um, but, <clears throat> but there seems to be a general lack 
of willingness to stand up for what is right out of fear of what society may do to you or, or how you may appear to the general public or I don't know what brings it on. And, and to an extent, I, I was trying to draw some parallels here to Nicodemus and, and I read a lot of commentaries and, and, and Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night um, has a lot of symbolism. And there's, there's a symbolism of, of sin there. There's a symbolism, perhaps, of... Uh, you, re you read one commentary and it says, well, he didn't want to be seen. He knew he needed to talk to Jesus, but he was coming at night because he didn't want anybody to notice that he was going to talk to Jesus. There's, there's another commentary that would say, no, he came at night because there was nobody else around. And it gave him an opportunity to actually speak to him. So, you, I mean, you can go a bunch of different ways here. Um, but, but nonetheless, Scripture points out to us that this man came to Jesus by night. And at that point, he comes to Jesus to talk to him. And, and he acknowledges him in, a, in a, a respectable way, but a completely wrong way. And I, and I want to get down to brass tacks here because at the end of this account, we find Jesus talking about the account from the Old Testament where Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness in order to save those who were being bitten, that if they would look to the serpent that was the brass serpent that was up on the rod that Moses lifted up, that they would be healed. And the symbolism there of looking toward the one who is being lifted up and the symbolism of Christ on the cross and, the, and, and all of those things that, that are, are, are coming out of this, out of this text. And, and I wonder if the overarching point here that needs to be made is no matter how educated you are, no matter how much theology you know, no matter how much book learning you've been put through, you could be the smartest attorney in the world, the best teacher in the world, the most you know, well-respected mathematician. We can go down the line. We have Nicodemus here who is being referred to as not a teacher, but the teacher. I find that kind of interesting. It, it, you know, when we, when we use that term now, it, it, we say, you know, you're the director of the nursery. There's nobody else. It says in here he's the master. He, James, refers to him as the master. Yeah, so, so that says even, even more succinct, doesn't it? So, so we know that he is someone who, he should understand these things. But we can tell by what he does at the beginning of this passage when he comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one else can do these things that you do unless God is with him. He's been drawn to Jesus because he's performing miracles, but he doesn't recognize Jesus as God. He says you're a teacher come from God, but he doesn't know who he is looking at. <coughs> he's completely missed the point. <coughs> and so I think that the... The, the key of wrapping this up at, at the bottom here at, with Jesus telling him, 
you have to look upon the Savior and know who you're looking at in order for all of the things that you think you know to make sense. If you want to rightly apply what you've been taught, then you have to come to an understanding of who Jesus truly is. Because with all of his knowledge and all that he was able to do in teaching, he didn't know who Jesus truly was. And Jesus is marveling at the fact that, wow, and you don't know this? You don't understand being born again? And and I'm going to go so, so far without trying to be judgmental as to say that that's probably the same issue we see with all of the folks or most of the folks in the world today who are leaning so heavily toward worldly teachings that they are completely ignoring what's right and what's wrong because they do not know the Savior. But I think the grace we can give Nicodemus is he went straight to the source. Mm-hmm. He went straight to Jesus, where obviously social media and the things that we're seeing aren't around. But the things that especially young people are seeing, a lot of misinformation, a lot of, I see, I mean, I watch TikToks and I see people comment like, Oh, a 22-year-old that's showing the coffee in the ring. What's your opinion on if you're on Palestine? And she doesn't want to share that. She doesn't have to have an opinion at all. She's 22 years old. But they they just <clears throat> start something. And instead of going to a reliable source like scripture or a mentor, you are looking for a child on yeah. the internet to, you know, essentially attack. So I appreciate Nicodemus just being like, hey, I'm not sure, help me out, because I think we fall short of way Oh, that's a great point that, I, you know, we can, we can get so bogged down in trying to find answers that we forget that there's only one place to get them. I mean, really, there's one place to get the answers. I mean, we can, we, we get caught in, in a routine of, I'll get up this morning, I'll turn on the news, and I'll drink my coffee and see what's going on in the world. And, and, and that starts to shape our opinions and our thoughts for the rest of the day. And is it, is, is it more beneficial to get up and have a cup of coffee and go to scripture and allow that to shape us? Go ahead, you're fine. That is a really good point because, um, you know, I, I don't even remember who I was talking to, one of the grandkids or something about this, that if you don't, if you don't believe in the Bible, like if they're trying to be as a country, as a whoever, as an organization, as a person, if you're like, I don't believe in the Bible, then what is the basis at all for your morality or your rules or your laws? I mean, who says what's right, what's wrong? You know, yeah. And by, you know, by what authority, by what, you know, you're, it, it's kind of like the days of Noah, where like everybody did what was right in their own eyes, you know, and then again, you're shaped by your upbringing and whatever, you know, and Clinton had a really good point about, you know, it depends what group you're talking about. So like, let's say you have a sign that says, you know, abolish this or get rid of, if you, if you take out whatever they're saying they're against, anti whatever, and substitute it with any multitude of other racial, sexual, whatever group, is it still okay? Yeah, the cheering section will shift. Yeah. 
Yeah, there, there should be some, something, right? Something. Right. Well, exactly. And so, like you're saying, it just goes with the ebb and flow of whatever groups being condemned at the time, and it does, at, at, at that point, policy goes out the window. Yeah. Now it's just a contextual issue. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's 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 just uh, to me, it it just kind of opened my eyes to wow, how easily it seems that we can get to a point in this world where we we become so ill and to me it's just illogical it makes zero sense that we can lean on legal advice and policy and all of these other things to the point where we've thrown everything out the window that that is morally right and correct and and I really keep going back to I keep going back to the book of Romans and I don't want to open this discussion too far, but I keep going back to the book of Romans where essentially God just gave them over to their to their, their sin. God just said, if this is how you want to play it, then you can just have it. And I keep I see that so frequently in today's day and age that we keep saying, no, God, we don't want to hear what you have to say. No, we know better than you do. And no, God's word is not important and I'm not interested in it. Or they'll twist it around as Satan does and throw it at you and say, well, didn't Jesus say that we should do this? Again, out of context. And you know, that's where you want to go. Well, it depends on the context. But it, it's, a, it's just a, a fascinating observation that we have, we have become what we see historically has happened in scripture where God has just said, you know what, if this is how you want it, then you can have it. And, and it's not a good place to be. It's a scary place. Going back to when you were talking about Nicodemus and as you were talking about that, and I was reading this, this curtain, you know, here's this, here's this man, all of his life, he was taught. I mean, sitting at somebody's knee, he's being taught. Being taught. And, and if, I can't remember where it's at, but somewhere in scripture it says that, you know, all of the Old Testament is a compass pointing to Jesus. I mean, he had to have learned all of this stuff. He had to have seen all of it. And yet, here he is. Blind. Exactly. And whether it's, and I gotta believe that Satan is sitting there laughing about it because here's this guy who he's been, his whole life, he's been taught that this man in front of him is the man. He's he's the son of God. And due to his doubts and due to you know, and Jesus even gives him the opportunity, you know, hey, why don't you come with me? 
look, you'll see. Come with me, you'll see. And he can't, he can't overcome all of these doubts and all of this stuff and trying to, trying to, as you were pointing out with these, and some of them, I, maybe some of them, you know, do really believe that it was wrong, but couldn't say so, you know, because yeah. of where they were at. Um, whatever the reasoning, peer pressure, whatever, yeah. But does it all, does, does it, I, I guess what I, what I hope we get out of this discussion today is for, is for us as Christians to not allow ourselves to get caught up in all of that. As Christians to remember that our truth is truth, that it, it is the truth. It's not relative truth. It doesn't shift. It doesn't change. God is the same today as he was yesterday and will be again tomorrow. And that what the scripture teaches us, we can stand on it. Even if the world turns against us, we can stand on it, but we need to know who we're looking to. <clears throat> There's a, a quick story I want to relate to you here. Um, in January 6th, 1850, a snowstorm almost crippled the, the uh, city of Colster, England. A teenage boy was unable to get to the church that he usually attended, so he made his way to a nearby primitive Methodist chapel. There was an ill-prepared layman who was substituting for the absent preacher, and his text was Isaiah 45, 22. It says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. For many months, this young teenager had been miserable and under deep conviction. He had been reared in a church home. His father and his grandfather were both preachers, but he was unable to find assurance of salvation. The unprepared substitute minister didn't have much to say. So he kept repeating the text, a man need not go to college to learn to look. Anyone can look, even a child can look. And about that time, he saw the visitor sitting on one side and he pointed to him and said, young man, you look very miserable. He said, young man, look to Jesus Christ. And that man was Charles Hayden Spurgeon. That's where Spurgeon had his conversion uh, incidents happen when he was in the middle of a snowstorm, he went to a church and he just had somebody tell him, look to Jesus Christ. Just look at him and you will see him. If we believe that scripture tells us that if we truly seek him, we will find him. Then when we look on him, we need to be looking on him with expectations. We need to be looking to him to change our lives. We need to be looking to him to show us what truth really is. And our lives will be changed. And so I, I, I just try to, to roll all of this into a, to a ball this morning in discussion about the state of the world and how we're blinded by things that, that we should never allow us to, to, or we should never allow to blind us to what we really know to be true. And again, maybe, maybe these people that we're talking about that we're, we're testifying, maybe they knew, maybe they didn't know. But certainly that's an, an example to me, as I think that Nicodemus is an example of how you can be taught and taught and taught and taught 
But until you look upon Christ, you don't know, you don't understand it. You don't see it for what it is. And the Apostle Paul was the same way, was he not? We've been talking about him in the book of Acts for the last, you know, several weeks here, or maybe maybe months, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I remember when LD was here and I said, today we're finishing up uh, uh, the, the, whatever book we were in. He went, praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> well, I'm going to wrap up there. Thank you for the discussion this morning and for putting up with my voice again. And uh, we will, uh, anybody have anything they want to say at the end here? John 3, So you had to memorize. Yeah, I love that. That's wonderful. We stop. We stop so frequently at John 16, 3.16 and don't go beyond that. Don't go beyond that. No. Good point, Crystal. That does that does that kind of just wraps it all up, doesn't it? Brings it brings it to a head. Anything else? All right. Well, thank you all again for the discussion this morning. And uh, we'll close with the word, not a world of prayer, a word of prayer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to save I'm going to save my voice and I'm going to go. Clinton, would you close in prayer for us? Thank you. Father, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to get together, Lord. Thank you for the message that John brought forth, Lord. Just uh, be with us the rest of the day, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir.